You are tuned in to Keep Streaming, buddy. I'm your host, Carl Coleman, and this is my podcast where I speak to interesting and inspiring artists about movies, their life and career, and, well, just about anything. On today's episode, I speak to the talented and charming Copenhagen musician Emma Axe about her process, influences, and journey so far. We then take a deep dive into the life and work of one of our favorite film directors, David Lynch. Don't forget to subscribe to Keep Streaming Buddy on whichever podcast service you use and also check out our sick new Palace Winter t-shirts and other goodies over at palacewinter.bigcartel.com. Well, enough of the capitalist brainwashing. Here's my wonderful conversation with Emma Axe. Enjoy. Emma, thanks for coming on the Keep Streaming Buddy podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming down to our funny little studio here in Sulhan. Um, how are you and how have you been keeping sort of occupied or busy through this weird lockdown period that we're going through in Copenhagen? Yeah, that's a good question. It's been kind of definitely tough for mm. like, I guess, all musicians because it's we're pretty... Uh, hit by this like uh, lockdown and um as we were talking about just before I everything else that I did before besides being a musician and a songwriter is pretty much to gather a lot of people in big spaces mm, <laughs> like yeah. I did some I have been like doing events and I've been DJing and even when I mean I didn't have a lot of work during that, I always had like to fall back on being a bartender, and yeah. you can't even do that now. So it's kind of like all the stuff. We miss that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but then I started editing film, mm. like just doing like some editing work now. How did that come about? Like, do you have a history with that or a, some mean, sort of education? I, I kind of like in the first lockdown in like March and April, and you know when everything was new and still kind of like zombie like and yeah not only just boring but also scary and totally <laughs> you know it was kind of cooler back then right yeah <laughs> but um yeah then i was just uh thinking about like shit what if this never goes away <laughs> kind of like mm. i need to figure out i can't just wait it. I don't know how long this is gonna take. Okay. I have to figure out like what can I do that is not music and not like big events and yeah. clubs and stuff. That's pretty I think that's I mean, you were quicker than me to sort of come to that. <laughs> I mean, it took me a while to actually get to do it, but yeah. I was starting to like consider what my options were yeah. for sure. Um Do you think you sort of was 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 there ever a period where you sort of fell into some sort of like oh shit or was it more just like okay i've just got to stay creative here in certain ways or was there any kind of you know existential yeah. hole yes it's kind of like i still have days where i kind of start to feel transparent and feel like you know fading yeah. in some sort of form because you're so i mean i've, I've also just been like Damn, I'm, I'm so privileged. I, I loved my life until like this. I still do to a certain degree, but I was just like, how lucky am I that I actually 
I mean, I've been broke a bunch of times yeah. and, you know, sometimes living Comes with really the like, yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. But I always kind of like managed to do only stuff that I really thought was fun. And that I just thought was really cool that mm. I'm, you know, so far in my life managed to like do only that. I still got to travel a lot. I still got to like have all these amer- amazing experiences yeah. just doing stuff that I actually love. And that's... I mean, that's cool to realize. That's and a really nice uh, <laughs> realization, I think. It you is. Know, to find something positive like that in it all. Yeah. And then I kind of felt like that, I mean, I should try to, I don't know. I was just thinking, I mean, I always did a, I always did my music videos, mostly myself. Yeah. And I always edited um, myself and... I kind of just always wanted to, I mean, it was in a very DIY way, but yeah. I always wanted to um, do it more professionally. Yeah. And that's how I, yeah. Then I just talked to some people and then some people it was really nice to give me a chance as like an assistant. and Okay. That's how I kind of like squeezed in my foot in that door and like tried to make it stay open So for me. cool. Is that also like music videos or actual films? Uh, this is, has been like TV shows and like okay. documentaries so far. And wow. A little bit of commercials. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. it's kind of like a job job. Yeah, yeah. But Good for I you. I mean, I can use it still as my... You know, I'm just getting better for like doing my own videos and doing yeah, videos for others, and so in that way, it's still creative and cool. And I yeah. mean, I mean, even clipping podcasts together, I can feel I'm sort of like, okay, my tech. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so bad at it. Like my bandmate Casper's always been like the tech whiz, but yeah, at least I'm learning a couple things here. You know, <laughs> how yeah, to how to set up a mic. <laughs> that's the thing. I kind of that was the other thing when this whole like pandemic started i kind of felt like okay you can't expect much of yourself because this is so mentally hard on all Mm. of us and i think it would be even harder on us after all this because right now i think we're still in kind of like survival mode yeah mentally but i think when when it finally starts to go away we'll probably like realize how traumatizing this has, this time has been possibly yeah. i mean i think <laughs> I that, kind of, yeah i don't know that's how i imagine it but like yeah just definitely look back and go man that sucked because like, yeah. i often <laughs> think about what my daughter yeah you know, if, we, if we're lucky enough to climb out of this at some point hopefully um yeah how she'll look back when she's like 15 and go so wait so that's why you're all wearing masks and yeah. oh yeah i remember that that was weird like so wait wait nothing was open and you know yeah and i'll be like yeah that was shit dude like <laughs> we were just exactly. at home with you and you were three and you were insane and <laughs> yeah it's it is a surreal time but it is and i feel like you know in this time it's so much just about like getting through it and not expecting too much of yourself, not being mad of yourself that you're not writing that novel right when right. you have the time, and you know Very that wise. you haven't done like four records or whatever, you know. Because ah, it's kind it's of nice like this really like unproductive time. Also, it's very yeah, it's weird because it, you sort of you feel the pressure like oh well okay now there's all this time to you know just 
yeah, bunker down and make a record or, yeah. but like you say, there's also this lack of inspiration because of the state of the world. And it's like, exactly. It's just kind of nice to hear you say that because it sort of (laughs) eases the pressure. (laughs) Yeah. But I just feel like, you know, there's nothing really to stimulate you. So it's kind of like, it makes sense that, you know, that you don't have the same kind of like exchange of ideas with people Mm. and like, Different different settings totally. that would give you like different ideas and look at things differently. It's just like when you see your own home, like the same the routine. S- you put the coffee like, on, yeah. you do the thing, you do the dishes. Try yeah. to like what, what's for dinner tonight? Yeah, <laughs> how can I really? When the most exciting myself? place you go to is the supermarket, <laughs> you can't really expect yeah. much of your. <laughs> I mean, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um. That the bar that you were speaking of. Cromwell Girl, yeah, um, is a local legendary yeah. watering hole. The, it's the best bar in the city. Let's face it. Um, yeah. So shout out, shout out to Ramo and the crew. Yeah. Um, Emma works there, and I frequent there, and a, a lot of great people frequent there, and we miss that place a lot. I'm sure. Um, Absolutely. But you, I think our paths first crossed. Like I think I first saw you performing in Copenhagen ten years ago or something. Um, is that because you're 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 still quite young, but you're like a veteran of the <laughs> Copenhagen indie scene, essentially. <laughs> yeah. So how old are you actually? I'm 29 now. 29. So yeah. so you were in your teens yeah. then when you started. Um, did you grow up in Copenhagen? I did. Yeah. yeah. And then what was your sort of? Because back in those days, um, you know your your references sort of, it felt very clear that it was quite 60s and psychedelic. And there was a pretty healthy scene for that stuff in Copenhagen during that time. Yeah. Um, around 2010, something like that. And I was in one of those groups as well called Hullasun Bazaar, which was sort of, yeah, 60s flower power stuff. Yeah. Um, how did, what was your sort of gateway into that music? Like, were your parents hippies or? No, actually, my, 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 parents hated that (laughs) time which probably was why it seemed more appealing to me in a way okay because i grew up with Britpop, which i also love and i grew up with like a lot of prince who Mm. i also learned to love like when i got a little bit older yeah and i yeah figured out like how amazing that was i didn't understand it when i was younger i thought it was a bit annoying but yeah i'm like oh, i was so wrong <laughs> wow i <But> mean <laughs> yeah prince played a huge role in because of my big sister yeah so she was basically madonna michael jackson and prince yeah and i think his stuff always appealed because the melodies were so strong yeah um yeah and for these like you know big pop stars that right. you just mentioned of that time I feel like he just had so much more weirdness and mm. pain to his stuff that <laughs> yeah. I kind of thought was Resonated. really cool. That's yeah. awesome. Um but yeah I was kind of like growing up with a lot of stuff that I also listen to now but then it was kind of like the whole like you know ex- you know um yeah, diving into like the Velvet Underground, which was like huge inspiration for me. Okay. It was kind of like, oh, this is my own, you know. Nobody like no one showed else knows it to this. me. My parents yeah, yeah. didn't show it to me, <laughs> kind of. And it was yeah, that cool. stuff's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you discovered that stuff on your own in high school, Velvet yeah, Underground. Yeah, I was. I remember diving into like you know discovering love and 
Yeah, Velvet yeah. Underground and like also the whole like mud scene I was really inspired from and I like the whole it was funny because people always kind of like destri- described my stuff as kind of like psychedelic but I was into some psychedelic but it was never like the psychedelic scene that inspired my, me very much by mm. like the 60s it was actually pretty much like how simple and strong everything was yeah so it's kind of funny that i mean i don't consider my i mean we had some for sure some like psychedelic uh elements but i don't i don't believe that that was actually what i was very inspired from. yeah yeah that's interesting so it was more i was it translated to- as that but it was more coming from prince and yeah, Brick and pop. also like the very like strong symbol like themes and melodies yeah. and like you know the whole like also a little bit like cartoonish kind of world it was and like yeah. how campy it was in a way. I mean, totally. I really loved that. Yeah, yeah, and that was like I say when when th- when that scene was sort of popping here uh, when I first moved out here. It was like everyone was sort of dressing like that as well, yeah. which is like because I remember that I think one of the gigs I saw early on was out out front of Drone. Mm. Um, do you remember that? Like in front of the church? Yeah, I remember. In the street, and yeah. I'm not sure if it was Emma Axe or the Setting Sun. It might have been both. I think we're both. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny because it was like the same members, which was yeah. like switches places, which was all great stuff. And I yeah. remember. Yeah, I just remember the the '60s sort of um, styled outfits as well, <laughs> and I thought like, yeah, I think I found my scene here, you know. Cool. <laughs> and I had had like bangs at that point. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it was good fun, but um, it was fun times. It was, it was, and that was a great <laughs> club that was, you know, yeah, famous for for free admission shows on a Thursday night. You could go down there into that scummy basement and see a gig. <laughs> it was just a great environment yeah, for that kind of stuff. It was. But then naturally, you know, your music's evolved and morphed over the years as it as it happens. So on your latest record, um, actually some of it made me think, like, this could actually be on the Lost Highway soundtrack. Oh, cool. Um, particularly My Beloved, which is probably my favorite. It feels like, like there are some nods to Bowie as well, especially with, like, some of the horns and things like this. What were some of the things that inspired this record and, and that kind of shift in sound? I mean, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned like the Lost Highway soundtrack because it was not a direct at all inspiration, but I kind of feel like that some of the songs on that record kind of got inspired of the vibe of like, not from Lost Highway, but I mean, it's kind of like the same universe, but like the Roadhouse and that vibe like twin yeah, yeah. like that bar like that th- those kind of people who came there like that motorbike vibe like leather jackets and smoke kind of um yeah image and but but again it was like a very vague inspiration it was mm. not like but it certainly had like some i don't know yeah, it was certainly a kind of like um, direction I wasn't aware of, I guess. But do you find that that that's sort of how? Because I know, and we're going to talk a lot about that later. But like David Lynch, he one of his things is like he'll have one idea, yeah, and then he just 
he'll follow that, you know, and yeah. until it actually sort of gives birth to some sort of story. Yeah. Do you find that that's how you work? Like if it's this Im- this image of this bar or like you say, yeah. bikers and stuff like that. I mean, uh, for one of the songs on the record, I had this very like clear image of, and it was kind of like, it was just this image of somebody working on their bike, like, you know, fixing it. Yeah, right. And it's not like the lyrics has nothing to do with that. And it's not really, but it was somehow an image that kept coming back to me. A motorbike? Was, or? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't drive a motorbike. I don't know why. <laughs> it was just cool, I guess. And yeah. it was just kind of like, I think it was just like the vibe of it, mm. or like the idea of it. And I mean, maybe it really came from like, I don't know, maybe it came from like a scene from a movie or something, but it just yeah. kept like being a thing. But I kind of like the way I, I saw an interview with Lynch where he was kind of like, I get an idea and it's like somebody's throwing a piece of puzzle in from the other room. Yeah, cool. And then I get that and then I just like wait for like more puzzles to get thrown in. And I kind of feel it. I really related to that in like terms of making a record because I guess a lot of people can relate to that as like building something from small ideas. Yeah, I think it's that's a really cool quote actually because I think um, a guest I had on the last episode, Yunus Alaska, he was sort of saying more a little bit the opposite, like that yeah. it's that it's it is just hard work, you know oh. what I mean? And not to say that Lynch isn't saying that, but. I get the feeling that he's someone that just waits for that, insp- like for those little gifts to fall, yeah. and 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 he gets so many of them because yeah. his mind is so <laughs> wacky. Yeah. Um, and even actually for Blue Velvet, I remember I read something about the song Blue yeah. Velvet, the '60s hit, the early '60s hit. Yeah. Conjured the whole thing in his head, and then he. And all he knew was that he could see freshly cut lawns, like yeah. suburban lawns. And I just think that's so, for me, that's brilliant because it gives me belief in what, you know, like you just said, when you have that one image or that one idea that you're like, okay, I'm going to follow this until it, you know, opens up into some sort of story for me. Exactly. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just this reoccurring weird image that you're, that you then um, translate into song or into lyrics it is but it is kind of funny how like ideas can i mean he also described it as which i really liked a spade so when you get an idea you really like that is like something that you catch but then you use that idea as bait for like your next catch yeah use this whole like fishing metaphor for it which i also kind of like because it's kind of like you have to you have to stay in love with that idea because i mean for everything you do you can always be like no that's stupid i mean you I could know. say that about I know, I know. the greatest art of all time <laughs> if you wanted to like look at it like that and so you have to be really like in love with this like idea that doesn't may necessarily like fit your work right now or maybe it's like you know maybe it's kind of like out of place but you have to be kind of like certain that it's important do it with conviction yeah yeah like i I thought about it with um with with twin peaks because like for example the 
um, the owls are not what they seem, yeah. right? Like if that was James Cameron saying that to you, yeah. <laughs> you'd be like, fuck off. Like, <laughs> what, aren't they? Like, really? <laughs> the owls? Or, you know, like, yeah. give me a break. But because it's Lynch, you're like, oh, shit, yeah, maybe they're not. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're actually really mysterious. <laughs> like, exactly. I think that's also what's so amazing about him, of course, right. that he's become this person where you kind of, you, you know, you, you just buy, buy what you're, yeah, you're yeah. saying, you know. And... So it sounds like your methods are quite similar then in regards to ideas and... I think I have to... I think I'm very aware at least that I have to trick myself into be sure that what I'm working on is good. Fucking great, <laughs> Because yeah. otherwise I know I'll just, you know, drop it all to the ground and be like, ah, oh, fuck it. It's, I think that's it's really good useless, advice. you know. Yeah, um, makes so sense. So you have to kind of like stay on that road and be like yeah i'm onto something here so would you say that you're like part of or from a specific scene here in copenhagen uh no not at all actually no i kind of feel like i kind of always felt like that i was kind of like my own little island (laughs) in a way because i feel like even back when there was like the whole like 60s kind of thing i kind of always felt like that i didn't fit into that scene that i was still a bit too pop for Mm. that but i was also not pop or you know enough for like actual pop yeah so i always kind of felt like a little bit in between and as the years went on and i made more music that was definitely not that scene anymore i kind of i kind of felt like that i didn't really belong to a scene ever and i don't feel like i belong to a scene now either that's interesting do you do you okay so it's not that i don't want to i just don't see myself no that's interesting (laughs) do you feel like your relationship with like this life as a as a musician or an indie artist has changed over the years like do you feel like the same artist who first started writing songs all those years ago because the reason i ask is because it's actually kind of rare for artists to keep going after like a decade. Like you've been going yeah. for a decade. That's pretty yeah. fucking impressive. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I do when I, or I try and do when, yeah. I, when I'm feeling maybe some sort of um, doubt or uh, the struggles of being an artist is I try and find that inner child. Why did I start doing this? Because it felt good. And, yeah. you know, there was this energy um, and, and, a, and a reason or like a hunger to express myself through music. Yeah. Um, is this something that you do or because you, I think you were on like a major label at one point or like I, a, d- a I big, was, yeah. yeah, I was, I ended up at a major label in a very like weird way because my label was, which was kind of also a little bit of a major label. Um, they, uh. Yeah, they just got bought by Universal. So all of a sudden we were on Universal. Okay. But they didn't choose us and we didn't choose them. So it was kind of like, <laughs> you know, it wasn't as, you know. Funny relationship. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't as glamorous as it sounded. <laughs> I feel like it never is. <laughs> no, really not. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, uh, it's kind of, I mean, it's always better to be a place where you kind of fit you know mm. if you're not i mean we 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 ended up being in universal at a time where we had like a record with like 
not a single, you know, yeah, yeah. S- single song. <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah, like yeah. a hit, no hits Which at all. Which is what they're always looking for, right? Yeah. The suits. <laughs> they're just like, Where's how the are we yeah. going to make this album stream? <laughs> right, like, right, right. I don't know. <laughs> 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 That's not what I really was thinking about when yeah. we made it. So, <laughs> you know, that kind of like, it was just a different approach totally. to music. So. Because I feel like that's been um, always noticeable noticeable about your work, like that that's not your priority. You know, you're just going to do... And you, you said it earlier that you always felt a bit outside all scenes in a, in a, in a way. Yeah. Or you're like the Emma Axe Island. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that you, you were going to do your own thing no matter what. But yeah. like, do you... Have you ever wanted to like give up? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of times. Yeah. I think every time I try to give up, I always realize that I need to make music. And I was like, I don't even have a choice. It's so annoying. I know. <laughs> like, kind of need this to kind of like stay sane. It's kind of like a cliche to say, but it's kind of like I need this to have like a narrative in my own life to narrate. <laughs> Otherwise, everything gets too weird. Like, then yeah. I'm kind of like, why is stuff happening even like what is this i get you know you go inside your head yeah (laughs) i go inside my head too much if i don't make music that's from my experience that's what happens you know yeah and it's not healthy (laughs) no i mean i i hear you and that's again lockdown times (laughs) you probably go in more um, yeah because for me it's the same it's it's when i'm usually most at peace is when i'm like it sounds super cheesy it is, but like but, I'm trying I mean, to make something. Yeah, I mean the whole, I mean the whole idea of like making music is also that you're always like looking for ideas and you're always kind of like, you know, you're always like soaking in inspiration. So your everyday life is like your project, you know, and that's kind of like very comforting in yeah. a way that you're always like. Your mind is always working on something that you care about and like right. you're attending it and yeah. and if you don't have that, I'm just kind of like lost in space. Then I get yeah. yeah, then you get lost in space. Then I'm like, then it's just then this world is just too super scary. If I can't yeah. make it a story in a way, then it's just like crazy. <laughs> I, I mean I totally get it. Yeah. Um before we launch into the whole lynch stratosphere um i want to ask you something because i want i want to see if um i can learn something here now i recently saw a documentary about lil peep yeah (laughs) and the whole soundcloud emo rap wave scene that he's kind of was a little bit like the pioneer of yeah in some ways i I feel like you're about to school me on this shit but um (laughs) Now, my teenage nephew had previously showed me, like, some of the XXX Temptation stuff, which I really dug. Yeah. Um, now, I hear through the grapevine that you, maybe through mutual friends or whatever, that you <laughs> um, or were, like, pretty into this scene. I am pretty much um, into that scene. Can you just sure. talk a little bit about this stuff <laughs> and what the hell it is and why it, it resonates with you or why it moves you? And, and if so, if it's informed your work at all. It's funny because especially with my latest record, it was like some of the only stuff I was listening to during that record, which is not something that you can necessarily hear. I mean, I can hear it, but, but, um, 
but it was definitely like my biggest influence, especially mm. XXX Tentacion. I was very, very fascinated by his. Also, just like I mean, a lot of people is really um, think it's really problematic to like, you know, praise him as an artist. Mm. Because, in, in what way? Why is that? Uh, it was because he had some charges of like hitting his ex-girlfriend. Okay. And, like he's a very violent person. Was he? Okay. But that was kind of like also what I, it was not what I was fascinated about, but like that there was definitely in his music like this struggle of like good versus evil. And I kind of, at that time I made this record, I was really fascinated, you know, very fascinated about like extreme evil versus good, like the sides in yourself, like kind of like battling each other. And yeah. Because at that time I was, it was very clear that he was trying to fight his evil and his past and, you know, all that. And it was just like, also, I mean, he's just, I mean, he has a great voice. I mm. really, as a singer, I think he has an absolute amazing, like, yeah, kind of, I don't even know how to describe how good I think it is. So it was kind yeah, of like, that's so cool. Though. Yeah, I when think you find just something like, like the that. sound of it and the way he sings mm. and um. So you put it on weekly, like yeah, I was yeah. listening to it pretty much most of the time. And yeah. also, little peep. I mean, I mean, he's very different. Um, he definitely has that more like bling eighty two. Like yeah, that was the thing that struck me the most from the documentary. Yeah. Um, because the film itself's not that good, but the information no. in it, yeah. you're just like, holy shit. Like, if you're new to this, which I think a lot of people would be new to it because, you know, let's face it, a lot of kids would be like, dude, that shit's already five years old or whatever. Yeah. But to your local dad down the fucking, you know, bar or whatever, they'd be like, who? What? Yeah. What scene? Um, yeah. And what struck me was that how 90s and yeah this blink 182 um lincoln park thing coming through i was yeah, like good what the charlotte fuck? like yeah, all these yeah. kind of like, I was like bands really and... this is back or whatever but yeah. then of course you know this rap um and trap influences and then yeah i mean it is like they're punks you know they're like yeah. smacked out in like burnt out basements in denver and shit and that that portion of the film was fascinating to me because they're they're actually just, you know, they go play this underground party and then they just stay there for three months and get whacked <laughs> yeah. and they don't even know what's going on. And the other thing, if you don't know about this scene at all, the other thing that seems to be like a thing is they all fucking die at like age 20 or 21 and it's yeah. super tragic and it, and, it, and it's also super cliche. Yeah. But it seems to be this like, <laughs> I can't fucking tell if it's a career move or like, no. it's so dark. It's so dark, and I think that it's kind of like, I mean, absolutely, like, hip-hop and trap is the new punk, and it right. is, like, the new rock and roll, and has been for a long a time. Wow, yeah. But, but also, yeah, it's just such an extreme scene in the ways of, like, living fast and dying young. I mean, yeah. they die way younger than, I mean, 27 there's no way <laughs> these guys <laughs> that, wouldn't make it. I mean, it. Yeah. that's like a whole lifetime for <laughs> rap. I mean, that's. I mean, that's so dark, yeah. but it's 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 true. Like the way their their intake of stuff is yeah. just full on. Like you're like, how is this? 
kid going to make it, you know, and then they but don't. I, but. but I kind of feel like that's also what I love about that scene. Not the drugs, of course, but the whole, like, restlessness mm. and, like, the very aggressive, desperate vibe. It's kind of like frustration on another level Yeah, that no other music really has captured in the same way, I feel like. I feel like from hip-hop and trap, I definitely, sometimes I get an energy that I can, I'm I'm always kind of like jealous because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a rapper. I'm not like, I'm not, not a trap scene. producer. Yeah, I know so I, I can't, I can't channel that energy that I'm getting, but I can get inspired from it and do yeah, something yeah, yeah. else. But, um, but there's just something that hip-hop and, trap music and especially that like goth emo scene does to me as a listener that i'm just really fascinated about because yeah. it gives so much energy i think for so long early on when i first moved here i was playing like country music in americana and then mm -hmm. for that was like my whole you know i was like nothing else matters blah blah yeah. blah well, that's great too i mean yeah i, I mean there's a lot too. of good shit in there 100 <laughs> yeah. percent, and yeah. i still love a lot of that stuff um but then there's like I don't know. For some reason, when I came across XXX Temptation, which I, for me, his stuff really talked to me more than Lil Peep. Yeah. Um, it sort of made me think of just like down uh, songwriters from the early two thousands, like Sparkle Horse, or like it's very. Yeah, and sometimes a little bit of like Elliot Smith, maybe. Yeah, very self-confessional, very yeah. you know introvert, um, depressing. You know, these guys are very depressed. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. But I just wanted to touch on that stuff because I knew I had a feeling it informed your work as well, actually listening to the album, your oh, cool. most recent record. Um, so for me, it was a little bit noticeable, actually. That's cool. Yeah. So I don't know. At some point, I might have to get some more names. Our mutual friend, Bull, has like oh, yeah. <laughs> pushed a few <laughs> others on me and he's like, you can do little thing and little knuckle. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> Well, I think it's time to venture into the second portion of the pod uh, where we want to talk about one of our favorite filmmakers. He recently turned 75. That was why I thought it would be really cool to do a Lynch sort of retrospective. Yeah. Um, but also down at the bar, I remember we nerded a little bit on Twin Peaks once and I just thought, well, Emma's the perfect guest to talk about Lynch with. I hope so. It's kind of like a big responsibility, it is. I, I mean, feel like. <laughs> I mean, I think you're perfect. But I think even when I was sort of prepping for this, I was like, holy, I mean, there's a mountains, yeah. you know, even though you actually look at his, uh, just his film list. So not his, uh, his filmography, not, not including TV because he's done a shitload of TV. Yeah. And short uh, films. And short well. films. Yeah. yeah. But when you look at his filmography, it's quite short. Yeah. And it, and his last film was 2006. Yeah. Which was Inland Empire. Um, yeah. But let's start with now. Now, what what are your favorites? What what are your couple of favorites? I mean, I would say like Twin Peaks is kind of like my all time favorite of his works. Yeah. Because I think it's just so iconic in so many ways, and you can just go back to it in so many. And it's kind of like become. Not it's not even my generation, but it's mm. also my generation's kind of like weird narrative now in life, and you're kind of like, 
oh, this is kind of like, you know, this is our, the diner or whatever, you know, yeah, you yeah, kind yeah. of feel like you're always already kind of like in that world. Mm. Um, but then also Mulholland Drive is definitely my favorite Lynch movie, I think. Well, when did you first cross paths with Lynch? Like, what do you remember? What the first thing that you was, saw? That was Twin Peaks. That was okay. as a teenager, and I remember, I remember getting into watching it, and then just watching it. I was home alone for like a couple of weeks during the summer. Oh shit! And I was watching <laughs> Twin Peaks alone. Yeah, and I was kind of like going out every pretty, night, pretty and creepy. then I was like going out partying with my friends, and then. Waking up hungover, eating whatever food there was in the fridge, and just binging like okay. the f- first two seasons of Twin Peaks, like in two weeks or something. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being like, "This is really intense and strange," yeah. like because it was my entire world and like for like two weeks. But it was really cool to watch it in that way, and, and especially in that age, because it made such a huge impact on me. Of course, like mm. the music and the style and. The characters and I imagine it was DVD then, probably. It was what? Like oh yeah, DVD, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it like... was that was what I first binged it on as well. Exactly. Um, but that was the first thing for me as well. That was, but it was actually a, a friend's dad in high school. He because re- I remember it being on TV, but yeah. it was probably you know I think it was too heavy. So my parents were like, "This was when it first came out in the early nineties. Um, I think they were like, "Nah, this isn't. You're not watching this." Mm. Then anyway. My friend's dad rented Firewalk with me on VHS and he and it was kind of a little bit sadistic. Like he was like, Yeah, and he was American. <laughs> and he was like, Yeah, I'm gonna get you this video. Right, yeah, you gotta see this film, man. It's fucked up. Like and we were like, Okay, yeah, cool. Like, you know, yeah. kids in high school, like, yeah, freak us out or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, cut to the little dude in the red suit, like doing his dance and Laura Palmer and the whole shebang and Bob and yeah. me and Sam, my friend looking to his dad sort of going, why are you showing us this? And yes. then him sort of going like, it's fucking crazy, right? <laughs> Wild. <laughs> that was my first, <laughs> that was my first exposure to Lynch and Twin Peaks. But, and I remember probably thinking like, yeah, I don't need to touch that for a while. But later on, then I saw the show and then I was completely hooked. Um, yeah. The same as you. And what do you think it is that sort of about this show that captured this kind of cult audience? Is it that weird mashup of the supernatural with small town Americana? It is kind of funny soap. because I was kind of f- thinking about, I think it's definitely like also the small town mm. vibe in it. Like all the kind of like very warm characters, like the way that people care about. Yeah. Like Laura, somebody, yeah, yeah, everybody cares about Laura. Everybody knew Laura. I mean, that kind of thing is kind of like perfect in a TV show because, I mean, really, that's why you often choose to see a TV show instead of a movie. It's because you kind of feel like going back to those people you kind of know. Yeah. So in that way, it's kind of perfect. And then, I mean, the whole very surreal, scary dream universe is... is what's so fascinating yeah. about it obviously but there it's the fun thing about Twin Peaks is also that I feel like it gets more scary the second time you watch it yeah because it, it, I remember watching it the first time it was definitely it definitely had its moments but what Lynch does that it's so 
terrifying and mind torturing is yeah. like the way he used like the same images like the staircase in like the Palmer house I know. with the, the ceiling mom. fan yeah, of, yeah, yeah. you know when you have seen when you see that for the first like many times it's shown you're like yeah it's a bit spooky or whatever but you know you're not it's okay and then the second time we watched Twin Peaks or you know like, you rewatch it all this the first time you see that like that frame you're just like <gasps> no 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 don't do this to me again i can't <laughs> i feel know? like it still haunts me that scene where she realizes she's seen killer bob yeah. in the bedroom and that's grace you like you fear it already you kind oh. of like you can just you know that fear and that terror yeah. that that is in the palmer house I mean, you're already scared when it's just like you look at the house from the outside. You're just like, there's so much pain and terror in that house. And that's kind of what is so fascinating to watch like Lynn's works after because it's kind of, it just gets worse and worse the more time you yeah. see it because you know how terrible it is in a way. The, that's how, from my experience at that's least. That's a really great description because he's so good at that suspense yeah. or terror that he builds by what he's not showing you. Yeah. Um, he's like the king of that because, and the yeah. other thing that's so weird about all, a lot of the Bob segments are they're shot in the day. So mm. it's like, you know, you're, it could be just like while everyone's at school and at work and he's behind the couch and it's like, that exactly. just fucked with me, you know, when I first it's saw so it. It's so much more scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Grace um, Sabrisky, who uh, she's someone that he casts a lot. She's beautiful. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. She's also the mum in Seinfeld. Um, she's yeah. Susan's mum. She's like a classic kind of nineties actress. Um, yeah. I love her. But she's like no one else could have been Laura's mum. You know, like no. The way she reacts when she realizes she's seen Bob, that shit just messes you up. Yeah. Um. Now the guy, we need to touch on this a bit. It is kind of if you're I'm a Bob. fan of Twin Peaks, <laughs> you sort of um. You'd probably know all these backstories, but the guy who got casted as Bob is a guy named Frank Silver, who was a set designer or like a, a props guy um, on set who who was just caught in a reflection of a mirror by David Lynch, um, who just got casted on the on the spot. He was like, "This is Bob. <laughs> yeah. This is our guy." He's like this silver-haired, um, very creepy-looking dude. It's also funny how like Frank Silver was really haunted by his appearance in Twin Peaks because was he? he yeah because afterwards he had like I mean I vaguely remember an interview where he was kind of like telling about how he actually it became a problem because people actually were scared of him yeah like him he his everyday look was so like his it was his face yeah. and people just was terrified of it so Whoa. it would just be like a thing that would actually make him depressed during time really people had this kind of like was creeped out by him oh <laughs> poor guy yeah <laughs> i think i kind of that always kind of like added some like i don't know some very um some sympathy to yeah, like yeah. The whole, like... <laughs> it's sort of nice to hear in a way because it yeah. sort of softens it yeah. sort of makes him a person like oh poor bob <laughs> yeah and not just an evil spirit no um <laughs> the sad spirit yeah so did you it's probably a stupid question but i imagine you saw the return the yeah. season three yeah so and i was one of the few people who loved it actually <laughs> i really liked it yeah. as well Good. um 
I mean, it's fair enough not to, but I feel like a lot of people didn't. Yeah, I think it was too far out, maybe. Um, but the thing that struck me the most was episode eight, which yeah. is which is called "Got a Light." Yeah, which is um sort of the birth of Bob. Yeah, and I remember again, I was like, "Oh, I've got to call an album "Birth of Bob" or call a song "Birth of Bob." And blah yeah. blah blah. Maybe I just need to make a Twin Peaks themed band or something. But anyway, um, I was in actually. Oh, you were in one. <laughs> no, but I was uh, for a brief period when the the return was just getting shown, and there was this whole like the return of it was Twin back. Peaks. I was actually hired to sing in this uh, Twin Peaks band. Wow! <laughs> yeah. I was hired to sing like the Judy Crew songs. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. So you did some shows and I did some like Twin Peaks cover band shows. That's awesome! Like around Copenhagen or. Yeah, it was like in Copenhagen and in Wunsch and Malmö and Dope. stuff. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. So I, I was that. like, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like the dream job, right? I was like, it was because, I mean, to to have an excuse to actually like cover all of Julie Cruz's songs was yeah, really, yeah. really cool. I yeah. mean, that's the other thing about that iconic show is the music and exactly. Battle of Manti's, uh yeah. themes and... Yeah. It's so haunting and um, it touches on all of that stuff because it's sort of, it has the emotion of like a soap, like an 80s or 90s soap, but then yeah. it has all the kind of drama and horror in the theme at the same time. So it's just, I mean, you can't exactly. touch that stuff. It's like no. eternal now, you know. And I love how, I mean, um, but Lamenti, he kind of like just wrote the Laura theme like 20 minutes <laughs> with know. David Lynch and like that interview where he's I mean, like describing like how he's sitting by the piano and be like, yeah, she's so sad. Yeah, exactly. That's beautiful. Yeah. Make it even sadder kind of. It's just so amazing. If you haven't seen it, it's this amazing clip yeah. on YouTube where he basically <laughs> explains how he wrote the script, uh, yeah. wrote the theme Yeah. while David Lynch was... It, it sort of describing like he's like and now Laura's in the forest it's yeah. oh you're breaking my heart <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. amazing um and he sort of yeah like you say he just he wrote it in one sitting it's yeah. pretty wild um it is so wild and also I like how he describes how Lynch was even though Lynch was not a musician he's just so fond of music and music is such a big part of his universe and his art <laughs> that he would if Badalamenti would try to like change something then Lynch would like a couple of months after be like, no, 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 that was not what you played me two months ago. Like you know, you couldn't. Yeah, right. Yeah, if Be he was in love with something, he could like memorize it oh, in I a way imagine. that musician does. Yeah, or like not even all musicians would probably. Because he has released records, um, and he's made some pretty fucking weird music. Yeah, um, <laughs> crazy clown. You time. sent me a very crazy very clown time is. <laughs> is basically what you would think is a David Lynch <laughs> single. <laughs> and the video is even worse. Like, it scares the actual shit out of you. <laughs> it was crazy clown time. And Susie spit on Peter. It's, like, it's fucked up. So Yeah. And it's like that. It's like his films. It's, like, repetitive and you're, like, stuck in this kind of time warp. It's yeah. really weird. Um, but as for just going quickly back to the return, yeah. the, the, the Got a Light episode, which I think is maybe the most far out TV I've ever seen. Yeah. But it's um, an amazing episode. Yeah, it's so messed so up and it's so it's so like the the sort of straight juice of Lynch you can kind of get. It's like yeah. it's all there. And and actually I went and revisited it for it for this pod and it was even more far out than I remembered. 
imagine, it's yeah. so psychedelic and so disturbing. And, yeah. Um, but then I actually finally saw a razor head, which is his first piece. Yeah. Which, um, you know, was his dark horror debut that sort of announced David Lynch into the world as this new exciting auteur in 1976, I think. And then it struck me how much it references a razor head. Yeah. Um, this episode got a light and down to everything, like down to these weird sequences of like, you know, that Bob sort of comes from the first atom bomb test in like the forties and, yeah. uh, and it's all in black and white and there's all these like psychedelic, yeah, visions. It's so similar to a razor head. Have but you, have you seen a razor head? I have, and I, I loved it, but I kind of feel like what you're just uh, saying now is what I overall love so much about Lynch is like how connected everything is, like mm. how connected all of his films and all of his work is to each other and how it's always having like kind of like the same themes. It's kind of like always kind of like goes back to almost like the the loss of innocence of America or something, you yeah. know, like kind of... You know, there's these kind, it's especially like laws of innocence in a way. Yeah, he doesn't change that much, actually. No, and it's kind of, there's these things that always, these elements or these kind of characters that is always kind of there, you know. There's always kind of like the dysfunctional, it should be like the perfect American family, you know, but it's always dysfunctional and, you know, there's like, these rebellious teens and you know these like women who loves danger and there's a lot of these things that keeps coming back yeah and still in this like kind of very specific dreamy universe but totally but the same elements like red curtains would always be there somewhere and like the blinking lights and all these like signature things yeah those um the patterns on the floor exactly which but you first see like you pretty much see the twin peaks floor yeah. In um in a razor head in, yeah. in in his apartment building. Exactly. And you're like, why that is such a signature for him now. And you're like, where did that you know, it's just something that was within him. Yeah. Um and actually he I didn't know this, but he was a very successful or, or he was a very uh, promising visual artist before um before he started in film. And he he um he ended up in Philadelphia he sort of grew up and lived all over America, especially the East Coast, and went to some pretty prestigious art schools and stuff like this. Um, but he ended up in Philadelphia where he, he he married and had his first child. And he talks about his torn relationship with that city and how it kind of fucked him up in a yeah. way. But it also fueled all these ideas. Yeah. But he talks about that it was cold and industrial yeah. and he felt lonely and... You know, but that's when he started making kind of underground movies in his apartment. He sort of blackened out all the walls and it's pretty amazing. Like he, it is. I think his wife at that point, Peggy, she was obviously just in on it because she was like, all right, you can turn our apartment into a fucking studio and let's yeah. do this. And then, you know, these kind of, I guess these suits discovered him and he says he got the life-changing phone call where he got a grant and he got an offer into the advanced film school in LA and that's where he moved out there and everything changed Yeah, um, because he was given what's called the stables, yeah. which is literally like they gave him a building like, dude, 
do whatever you want. They were like these burnt out stables. And he was just like, are you serious? Like, yeah. I'm just going to live in here for four years. And that's where he made a razor head. Yeah. Um, evidently his marriage broke down and I think he forgot all about like it's so interesting to me that kind of stuff because the whole balance sucked him in (laughs) yeah and like the career right like he's he he, his dreams came true but then because I was like what about the wife and the kid like how is this all gonna work you know because I often think about that stuff yeah the balance of of work and family um and yeah evidently it didn't work out he he basically chose and he talks about in the documentary David Lynch the art life that his dad and his brother like came to confront him and sort of said, you've got a kid, like forget this movie thing, you know? And he was like torn up about it, but he was like, nah, I've got to see it through. And then, you know, the rest is history kind of thing. Um, It certainly really seemed like to be kind of very almost one-to-one, kind of like... Yeah, uh, with the Bob thing. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, but it's, it's funny. I mean, I think it was before we actually started recording this we were talking a little bit about when he moved to California. LA. Yeah, yeah exactly and you said that he felt like the sun was sucking the, the fear, fear out, out of him, him that which quote I thought just was great. struck me yeah because I'm yeah. someone that um very much I don't do well with winter like no. I, I grew up not like that and me I grew neither. up in a in a more in a warmer climate in Melbourne even though the winters can be pretty miserable but nothing like this you know and they're not as long and you still get sun, but I need sun on my skin. Like I get fuel from it. Yeah. And he says in that film, you know, when I first tasted California sunshine, it sucked the fear out of me. And I was just like, dude, I but totally that, relate. But you were saying something similar and you're Danish. I'm Danish, but I always kind of felt like that I was not supposed to live in this cold environment. I mean, I'm always cold, even in the, in the summertime, I'm cold. <laughs> like, so, and... I mean, I just hate it so much. Yeah. I get do you, do total you... seasonal depressions yeah. and it's terrible. And <laughs> I mean, I can't stand it. Uh, there's nothing good about winter in oh, my world. Man. <laughs> I mean, it's refreshing to hear a Scandinavian say that. Yeah. It's like seasons, <laughs> no thanks. I want the steady 25 yes, daily. You know, exactly. I, want, I dream want of this the... Californian climate. Exactly. And I actually moved to LA <laughs> because I kind of wanted to be in that. I was like, you know, I've been there many times and mm. i i just thought i always thought it was such a fascinating city i kind of feel like the opposite of david lynch in a way because i don't feel like it's sucking the fear out of me i kind of feel like it's the most scary place I i've mean, ever been i can relate and I've that's kind once. of like even his la movies is also so fascinating to me because of my my huge fascination and love for la but it's definitely because I think it's scary that it's so fascinating, you know? A hundred percent. Do you, let's talk about Mulholland Drive then. So did you, when you lived there, Yeah. how long did you live there for? I, I ended up not living there very okay. long. It was right before uh, COVID oh, that right. I moved. So I ended up not staying there for more like, I mean, I paid rent there for like four or five months or something. Okay. So I mean, you dropped anchor there for a bit then. A bit, yeah. But it was definitely, I mean, I was supposed to be there longer this, this might sound silly but like did you ever feel kind of like a lynch vibe there or like did yeah. you ever like go up the, up in the hills and go some spooky shit's gone i down mean here. i think i think because i i was introduced to lynch way before i i went to you know long time before i went to america for the first time that to me america was always david lynch mm. 
So for me, all the things that I love about America is things that I love because of the ways films make made it iconic. Because yeah. there's so many things not to like about America. I mean, it's which is probably a terrible place in many, yeah, many, and many ways. Yeah, I think ways. that's like you were saying earlier, the way you put it about the the loss of innocence. Yeah, and all this fear that sort of is behind the eyes of his weird characters. Yeah, like you say, I think that's the terrible aspect of. That it's it, all coming from America. It is, and I mean, I think, I think what's what's so. I mean, America is also a place that like constantly lies to itself about mm. its own self-image. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the land of the free, but it's kind of like the least free place I'll I've ever shoot been. You to yeah, get it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so it's such a bizarre country mm. in a way, and. I think the way that Lynch captures that is really, really fascinating. Yeah. Because he doesn't does it in a resentful way. It's kind of like a tribute. Yeah. But it's kind of showing how actually scary that country is in a very beautiful and fascinating way. And I think that's He has this fixation with the American dream or like the small suburban American dream, like you say. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier. Um, which he's so good at then to like yeah, peeling back and it's all, like, when you pull back the curtain of that, it's all really dark under there. Yeah. And there's this anecdote in that <laughs> film, The Art Life, from his childhood, and it feels like, to me, it sort of um, explains his entire vision. Yeah. And it's about when his dad is calling out to call the kids home and they're all playing in the street or whatever in his hometown, wherever that was, like the Midwest or whatever. And they're all coming back for dinner and it was like a hot night. And then out of the... The way Lynch explains it as well. Yeah. Out of the darkness of the street just comes this naked woman. And he's never... You know, this is just post-war, like probably the 50s. Yeah. He's never seen a naked woman in his whole life. You know, he's just a boy. Yeah. And she's got a little bit of blood on her mouth. And she's got this, the way he describes it, this beautiful pale white skin. And she's just kind of like walking through the street and sits on the curb and all the kids sort of start crying. And I was like, this is kind of Lynch's yeah. entire... It, it just it, it explained a lot to me. And there's yeah. so many of those stories that he has from his past um, that you can imagine informed so much of yeah. his vision. Um, I, I, I agree. I think for me, like that kind of side of the American dream or, or the fabric of Americana... Exactly. The way he taps into that is so fascinating. It is. Um, but... But let's go back to you in LA. Like, so obviously, unfortunately, it was cut short because of COVID. Yeah. But did you ever go up to like Mulholland Drive? Or? I did. I okay. did plenty of times I, I, because I lived in Hollywood. Okay. So wow. I, uh, which sounds really fancy and cool, but it was West <laughs> Hollywood, so it was really not. Okay. It was. I wouldn't uh, know. We were out in Echo Park, but it was fun. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice place. But where I I lived was also. I mean, quite nice, but it was also quite rough. It okay. was uh, really close to like the the dirty uh, end of Hollywood Boulevard, and mm. I mean, the homeless situation in Los Angeles is absolutely oh. out of control, and yeah. it's devastating. So it's kind of like you're kind of like confronted with that every day because it's right out of your Doorstep. Your doorstep, yeah. I wasn't aware that there were areas of Hollywood that were like this, actually. I thought no, it was only it's kind ritzy of, and wealthy. I mean, no, it's kind of like the part of Hollywood I lived in was kind mm. of like 
the dirty side of like wow that's and also, also sounds that, just kind of cool <laughs> exactly it was i i mean i loved living there because i mean it was short but i for the time i really loved being there because it was it was also the area i lived in was right before kind of like the hill started mm. so it was kind of like there's a street called franklin and there's like you can live on the wrong or the right side of franklin okay. and i definitely lived on the wrong side of Franklin because I lived in the area where all the like young aspiring actors and actresses so you sort of chose lived to be before there. they made it you wanted to be there though I wanted to be there yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I chose yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean I chose the place there because I loved it because I yeah. love I mean I'm very fascinated in general about like old Hollywood myths and mm. also like the whole like weird really extreme LA crime yeah scene like the whole the, the combination of like all the i don't know which i think also is what lynch is kind of like yeah um he's so good at depicting like the thing that a little bit relates to what you're talking about that really I find fascinating is like these kind of like Hollywood rejects. So yeah. All these people that move there that go like, I want to be the next yeah. Brad Pitt or whatever. Yeah. But they just get spat out and they're, they're working at a diner or whatever. Yeah. These are the people in his films in a way. But these are always the most interesting yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but I kind of, and that's, that's also what's so, so fascinating and devastating about mm. LA. It's like, it's such a, you know, it's just such a sad place. Yeah, I can imagine it's quite unforgiving, especially for very these kind of people who go there with a dream and then it's... Exactly. I was always kind of like, I was so happy I didn't go there with that. I didn't go there with a the dream to make yeah. it, to kind of like make it in in Hollywood or LA or anything. I was. It was not a career choice. It was mainly out of my fascination with the city and I yeah. wanted to explore the city so that was like a dream you couldn't really take away from me i thought but then again covid you know yeah <laughs> so some somehow i also got kicked out were you, were you upset <laughs> about that like were you uh i mean there was like there was like it was not the only reason i didn't stay stay but mm. but um i think i actually realized you know because going there and staying there for a long time is a different mentality than going there to move there and thinking you'll live there for the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, you have moved abroad, so you must know what I'm talking about. Yep. It's kind of like, it's a mentality that is very different from like traveling mentality. And I think I actually started to realize that even though I've, what I think of, you know, I think LA and America is kind of cool also in the way that it's scary, but I was like, I really like scary stuff, but maybe America is actually a little bit too scary for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's. But then COVID kind of like made my final decision, so I didn't have to yeah, like yeah. get to that point where I had to like. I mean, it it was in the cards anyway. Yeah. To throw me back here. <laughs> totally. I mean, just to throw back a little bit to Lynch, like. Yeah. I think what, once once he moved out there, yeah. you know. Um, it's so cool that he he uses what's around him, like what he knows and what's around him uh, physically so well because then he all of a sudden, like in Mulholland Drive, and the thing that really 
is memorable. Yeah. Probably for most people who have seen it is the is the 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 back of the restaurant scene where the guy's telling the story and exactly. it's just like <laughs> and that is definitely like the most scary scene in yeah. hi- film history ever i feel like you reckon yeah because it's also it's and and it's so funny because you do get the kicker mm-hmm. you get this the jump scare yeah but but that's not the worst part of no it. <laughs> it's that it's him telling the story yeah but then it, and in a way i'm sort of curious about like what if we never got the the jump scare as well but yeah. In a way, it sort of like rams at home and you're like, holy shit, what the hell is that? You know, like, look at that guy. But but also, I mean, we were talking about before, like the daytime. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's always like his daytime scenes that is like kind of the worst because it's, you know, it's the way he's making like a diner in the daytime scary. I mean, I could even sit at a date, so a, a diner yeah. at sunset. I mean, unfortunately, Twinkies isn't there anymore. <laughs> but, um, but you know, sit there and get kind of like the Lynch vibe all of a sudden. You get the creeps from yeah. like in these like normal everyday situations. I remember my wife and I drove out to In-N-Out Burger, which yeah. was on Sunset, I think. But that's like a monster of a street, isn't it? Like it goes forever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was the same thing. Like I just saw the dumpster in the car park and I was like, Okay, I wonder if he's back there. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but I specifically remember. I actually just remembered this right now. I think I remember running downstairs when I rented it on video. Yeah. Um, VHS Mulholland Drive because I think it came out ninety nine or two thousand. Yeah. And like getting my mum, I was like, "You've just got to watch this scene," <laughs> which is pretty mean. Like I was like, "Watch this, mum! Like, yeah. I'm gonna scare the shit out of you." Yeah. But I think maybe I didn't want to be alone with it or yeah. something. Like I was like. And I was watching it during the day because I used to just smash movies. Yeah. And I was, and then I remember it was just her, like she was like, "Okay, that's that was scary as hell." But then she said, "How sinister did he make that daytime diner?" Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's what's so unnerving." Yeah. Also, the fact that just the way that weird-looking guy tells the story, like exactly. he's so full of fear. It's insane. <laughs> he's oh, but also the way that something is always off, like right. the way that he has this like dream logic always. It's always what makes it so scary. You know, mm. the way that all of a sudden something is different. All of a sudden, the food is some or something is. It's not on the table anymore, but right. the scene continues like nothing happened or, you know, it's yeah. these small details and, and, you know, him referring to a dream, realizing that it's exactly like in the dream is just like, in a way, everybody's nightmare, you know, like right. to not being able to, you know, that control stuff. Exactly. Or, yeah. yeah. Or... Or fading into your nightmare, or did you even escape your nightmare, or like, which is the real world? I mean, that's kind of like the definition of, you know, losing your mind, right? Yeah. It's kind of like not knowing what's real and unreal anymore. Like that's so well put, because I think that's probably what his deal is. Like, he, yeah, he, I think he's always, you know, known that he's probably right on the cusp of <laughs> yeah. being nuts. Yeah. Um, and I remember there's a scene in that doco, which I keep talking about where he's, he says like he showed this collection of dead birds and bugs and stuff that he was keeping for yeah. his underground movies and art and paintings. And his dad just turned to him and said, I don't think you should ever have kids. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And it's this really like shit full on moment. But he, and he says like, I understood where he was coming from, 
Yeah. But I didn't think I was nuts. No. Um, I knew I was like maybe a bit off, (laughs) (laughs) but I knew. And, and then he said, and just at that moment, my wife at the time had fallen pregnant and he's like, that's interesting. Like that's life fucking with me. Like (laughs) it is, it really uh, is. But I feel like in a way, like all of the, the most scary characters in Lynch films and universes is always like the very, you know, mentally insane kind of, it's kind of like pure madness right. terrifying madness so there's always this kind of fear of like i mean in lynch's universe the mind is definitely like the most terrifying thing you know mm. in yeah. some weird way it's so true now that i reflect on it yeah, i think you're right that's probably i mean there's so really much more to it at. but it's kind of like uh also a theme that keeps getting back like what like, what are our most destructive sides? Yeah, it's he likes like to explore that. Insanity. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The thing is, like, with Lynch's films, that they are so... I mean, they're really scarring. Yeah. They're scarring your soul. And you're like, it is truly terrifying. Yeah. And it is truly messing with your head in a like whole other way that n- none, you know, not a single horror movie has ever, like fucked me up as much as a lynch movie or like yeah do you are you a horror fan like do you watch a lot of horror i mean yeah in i i i i like horror i mean i kind of um yeah i don't i don't mind getting scared sometimes but there's a way that lynch is scary that is just so much more scary i feel like but it's it's funny because it's also you never feel like Sometimes I'm kind of like I should watch this <laughs> this Lynch movie again, but it's kind of hard to do it to yourself. <laughs> totally, I've probably been maybe taking it. Although June, <laughs> I just yeah. saw June, which was yeah. hilarious. Like it's just really funny. Yeah. And there's like Patrick Stewart running into battle with a pug, and you're like, this is fucking mental. Um, which is really fun, actually. The ones where he's written them and it's his vision. Yeah. It's it, and like you say, I think it's because it plays with the mind and the fabric of like the human condition it's really creepy yeah and it's funny because it's all david lynch is not horror i mean it's like mystery and it's kind of like it's crime you know it's almost kind of like crime stories but always kind of like you know something yeah it's just like but more like mysteries of you know unexplained because it's you never get the satisfaction of knowing what was actually going on but that's also what we love so much about Lynch, I guess. It's like just accepting the mystery and but that that's actually another thing that I really really think is some a really a important aspect of his work is like how he makes everyone the detective when watching mm. it. Because there's so many like small clues that he leaves and some of them might be important and some of them are not and some of them you return to but maybe not and you'll never figure it out yeah but exactly it's kind of like what i love the most about what i love the most about especially the return mm. because for me and and you also i mean we didn't grow up with twin peaks we didn't grow up with it being aired but we we got to love it after i mean later, but yeah. it was kind of like our parents generation you know yeah and 
all of a sudden I feel like this season three was kind of like his gift to our generation or mm. all the people after that. So we could finally have like wait for a week to like yep. and talk to each other and like, you know, go into like all these conspiracies about like what the hell did the red cup that he threw out of the window mean and yeah, like yeah, all yeah, these yeah. things. And, you know, being being small like detectives ourselves, I kind of feel like the return was actually one big tribute to like all of his works. It was kind of yeah. like it was referenced and so clearly like everything, like even his short films, like it's very early work. And that's kind of what I really thought was really cool yeah. about it. Well, Emma, thanks for talking about all this stuff with me. Just got one more question. Um, what are you What are you up to now? Are you just editing films, or what are you? What's coming I, up for you? I'm 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 doing music, and and I I have a new band now. Also. Oh, what's that called? It's called Evil House Party. All right, cool. And it's with um, my friend Jakob, um, who's also making music as Miniasco, and. We did a more like electronic kind of like depressing Eurodance project nice. <laughs> together, kind of evil house party, crazy clown time. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's all speaking. It's also it was we. I mean, we chose the name before this whole COVID thing, but it is kind of a weird project to have now. Okay. In these time, because you're like no definitely not allowed to have a house party and you're not allowed to dance either and it's dance music so it's kind of like <laughs> ah, weird, sounds like what we need to be weird honest. timing but that sounds but cool. i'm doing that and then i'm writing my next record as well brilliant i'm excited to hear all that stuff cool thanks for hanging out thanks for having me